Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, May 26th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next half hour or so as we go over all kinds of things in the sports world from a betting focus. One guest on today's program, that is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll talk some NASCAR. We'll talk about the proposed NHL plan that may be bringing the NHL back with a playoff tournament format. We'll talk a little bit of horse racing, and if there's some time, We'll recap what we saw over the weekend with the Tiger and Peyton, Brady and Phil matchup. That was a lot of fun, but you know we got golf coming back here for real on about two and a half, three weeks time or so. Over at bangthebook.com, still covering the KBO, still doing NASCAR, still doing UFC, and some horse racing stuff for you as well. The Better's Box every Monday, Thursday. That's my KBO betting podcast. Make sure you check out Monday's edition if you missed it with that Memorial Day holiday and another one coming up here on thursday as well and of course as you know this and every edition of bang the book radio presented by our friends over at dsi sportsbook btb and the number 200 is that promo code 100 deposit match bonus for the sportsbook 100 deposit match bonus for the live casino at bet dsi it's only a game until you bet it one guest short and sweet here today on the program that is brian blessing the host of sportsbook radio and vegas hockey hotline Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking slowly but surely we're starting to get there. Um, had the NASCAR over the weekend, and okay, we had the uh, the match play golf thing. Uh, looking forward to actual golf tournaments, and the NHL puts out their phase two plan. I don't know if you've got a couple hours, you should read the thing. Yeah, it is It is extensive, and I kind of kept myself off the grid as much as I could over the weekend, just uh, drinking a lot of Coors Light out by the water, and you know that was a fun time. But again, obviously, you know, now a, a Tuesday that feels like a Monday, so it's time to catch up on a lot of different things that are going on out there. And we'll start on the NASCAR side, because that's actually an event currently going on that we can bet on, and poor Chase Elliott, man. I know he's your boy, but uh, this poor cat's snake bitten, man. I mean, talk about bad luck in the Coca-Cola 600 with William Byron spinning out. We get a caution. Elliott has to pit. Bad timing for that, obviously. Brad Keselowski wins the thing. First Ford to win the Coca-Cola 600 since 2002, but it probably should have been Elliott, and if it wasn't him, it probably should have been Alex Bowman, who won the first two stages and led the most laps. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you believe the saying <laughs> uh, in betting that things even out? No, not at all. Nor, nor do I. Although, <laughs> I, I had Elliott, who was a sure shot winner. He was going to pass Hamlin on the backstretch uh, that race because Hamlin was on older tires and Elliott had the best car. Two laps later, the rain comes. Elliott's the winner. Uh, I had Kozlowski in the, in the last race, and Elliot gets scalded again. So I had Elliot and should have won and didn't. Had Kozlowski, should not have won and did. So I guess in my small sample, things even out. For all the golf runner-ups you've had, you deserve some luck like that in some market. And the thing is, it's, just, it's craziness. I mean, what did he have? He had a a monster lead, and the yellow comes out, and it was his team out, teammate. The guy didn't hit a wall. It's just a tire blew. You know, it's that's the craziest thing about NASCAR. I mean, you can handicap this thing, and uh, boy, honestly, I've had I had a 
crazily, a pretty good read on these uh, with the group matchups uh, and these this kind of stuff. But it's a car race, you know, and goofy things happen. And you have a guy, and it'll happen five, six times a year where a guy's home and cool and he's got the win. And, you know, some also ran grazes the wall or spins out with five laps to go and it becomes a green-white checker finish and something goofy happens. But I would say this, and I, it, a lot of people are watching NASCAR that didn't watch it before. I'll guarantee you that. And I've had this happen to me two or three times, and it, it is the most befuddling thing. When you stand there and you watch this for hours on end, and clean air and track position is the big thing, why with a couple of laps to go would Chase Elliott pit and give up the lead? I, it, I mean, you're literally, you shake your head at this stuff sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's uh, it, it that's NASCAR is such a tough market for that reason. You know, there are just crazy things that happen, and even you know, you pick a winner of a group matchup, and you know, five laps from the finish, blows a tire or gets rubbed or you know can't get around some guy who should have left the track fifty laps ago because his car's in slow motion. It's a tough market, but you know, there are definitely opportunities out there, and you know, one of the opportunities that we've kind of isolated already, and we started talking about this before all this pandemic shit hit the fan, that Chevy had really closed the gap. And when you look at what's happened here this year, Jimmy Johnson with a runner-up finish before failing the inspection here on Sunday. You've got the two Bowman wins. Elliott's been great just about week after week, and just something happens. Byron's been good. Guys like Redick have been pretty good. You know, guys that are driving Chevys here, Chevy's really closed that gap in a hurry. It used to be Toyota, then Ford, then Chevy, then Ford had a little bit of a resurgence. Now Chevy's coming back a little bit. We kind of isolated that earlier on in the process. So if you've been doing some group matchup stuff with Chevy, I know Chevy hasn't taken down every win, but some group matchup stuff and you know driver-specific looking at manufacturers, you've done pretty well with that. And I've got to think here, for this shorter race coming up on Wednesday night, 500 kilometers in the Alsco Uniforms 500, 208 laps for this race. Again, the short burst speed from Chevy's been really good, and I guess probably kind of your starting point here is to look at a guy you know like an Alex Bowman or, or maybe Chase Elliott gets over the hump. Well, I think to me, and it, it's one of the unique facets of what's going on here, and that's watching the first race come right back to the same track and and have an opinion formed. And again, a lot of things come into play, and it's actually worked here in the beginning for me. And having watched the race Sunday and the first four completely, I would say Elliott clearly is should have been the winner of the last two. So, and the odds makers are on him at 5-1. to one. But the one guy I would think from a price play perspective, but not, not again, I always say there's no value in, you know, ripping up a losing ticket, but I think there's real value in a guy that the results aren't there, but he, he deserved a better fate. I think Eric Jones at 18 to one, I think Eric Jones is absolutely part of the equation in this race coming up. I mean, he has run really well. He, he's made up a lot of ground throughout the course of races uh, I, I think with a with a better start and some decent track position, I would not discount the chances of, of Eric Jones. I think he's an absolute overlay here at eighteen to one. I, I trust him way more 
then Blaney, Johnson, Kozlowski, you know, ran competitively, caught a break. Hamlin was a throwout last time because he had a problem right before the race started. Logano's kind of run a mid-pack. I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, Bowman is is running really well. And Kyle Busch is always a factor because his pit crew is amazing. I mean, every time he goes to the pits, he's gaining two, three, four spots, or if he's got the lead, he's coming out first. I do like Bowman among the short prices this week, but Eric Jones, I mean, look, you know, like you said, there's a lot of people that are kind of just now getting into NASCAR or maybe have over the last couple of years. Eric Jones was dominant in the Xfinity series. The only problem that he ran into was that he was a young, immature racer to the point where sometimes he would crash out. Sometimes he would get himself into some bad situations because he just didn't really have the know-how, didn't really have the wherewithal. And I get the Xfinity series is not the big leagues. I mean, yeah, some of the cup series guys will go down there and run like Kyle Busch who won last night, but Jones, when he stayed out of trouble, I mean, his car was dominant. He's of the Joe Gibbs racing team. And what really stands out about Jones is, you know, two races ago, that second race at Darlington, he was without his crew chief. And one of the things that you and I talked about a lot is that quick turnaround three or four days you know, you need to have a really good team. You need a good crew chief. You need a group of guys that you can work with, you know, and give you the best car and then help out with those adjustments during the race. Jones didn't have his crew chief, and I believe he still finished fifth in that race. So that tells you what you're kind of working with here with this kid. And, you know, I agree. I think if you're looking at, you know, the Toyota guys, people are going to flock to Bush. They're going to flock to Hamlin as they always do. And of course, Truex on the one and a half mile track, but Maybe Jones is that value guy here this weekend. Well, and again, yeah. Well, but the one thing is, the funny thing is, like, and I said, you, you watch and can then apply it. I was, you know, watching the watching the race. There were several portions of the race, and and he was he started back. He was racing mid pack, but there were several portions of the race where they were saying Eric Jones was the fastest car on the track. And, you know, so the results don't look that great with a little bit of racing luck. The bottom line is, in the last three races, he's had a really good car, and some unfortunate things have happened to him. Um, You know, Blaney's another one that's been going fast, but he's a disaster magnet. I, I, you know, you you can't trust him. I mean, he's just, he was pretty fast this last week. Um, it, It just, it seems like calamities befall this guy. But I just I, anyway, I, I just think Eric Jones' car was pretty good here the last couple of races, and I just think he's a, he's a, he's a strong contender this week. And eighteen to one's a good price. One Chevy guy I will look to fade here this week uh, or this week on Wednesday night is Jimmy Johnson, and it's not anything against Jimmy Johnson. He's had a great car, but the problem is by getting your race result wiped off the board, losing thirty nine points in the process. By the way. Johnson goes from being the runner-up to starting 40th this week because, again, there's no qualifying for this race. There was qualifying for the 600. There's no qualifying for this race, no qualifying at Bristol uh, coming up this weekend either. But they inverted the top 20 again, so Byron and Bowman are on the front row for what is a much shorter race, 200 fewer laps essentially than what we saw over the weekend. So Johnson starts 40th in a race that's only 208 laps. He's going to have to make up a ton of ground to work his way up the board. So Johnson, I saw him in a matchup. I think it was over at DraftKings. Uh, Johnson's in a matchup with Logano. They're both minus 115. 
Logano's starting in the top 10. Johnson's starting 40th. So maybe that's something that the odds makers just happened to miss. Maybe Johnson has a big run or Logano crashes out, something like that. But Johnson's not going to have a lot of time to make up ground here with the shorter race starting from the back of the pack. So again, very important to factor that into the equation here in these continued races where we're not having qualifying all the way, I think, until June 24th, I want to say, at Talladega. No qualifying. So they'll probably keep doing this inverted top 20 or whatever else. Well, you know, I, and I'll play devil's advocate. I'm not, I, I agree uh, on, on most of that. The, the one thing I would say, I, I, don't, I don't ever get that dissuaded by a guy's got to start from the back of the pack. If you figure, whatever, what, what's the number, Adam? If we say 40, it, it's a mixed bag. 40 cars start. You know, 15 of them are flat-out also-rans, right? Um, so Johnson gets by those cars in 15 laps. You know, then he's racing mid-pack. Then it comes down to making up grounds in the pits. One time you do an alternate pit strategy. You take two wheel, uh, two tires, uh, and you get back in. And I, I, I don't. I usually don't let. Uh, in fact, sometimes it'll it'll bump the price up for you. But you're right. This is a shorter race, so a better start is more critical. But don't forget, a third of the cars are just out there, so their sponsor gets on TV. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I guess you still have to navigate through those guys that, you know, wreck yeah. out of, of 30% of their races or whatever. But, no, that's a fair point. And, you know, I mean, Logano is is a guy, you know, whatever it is, man. You mentioned it last week when we talked. I don't know what it is, but that guy's always in the mix of something, whether it's well, he's getting taking, into an argument he, or a fight, he, but he's always in the top ten and everything. He's just, and the car there. sticks out like a sore thumb, right? It's like, it's all, oh, yeah. oh, there he is. And you're right. He's either contending to win or he's taken two or three cars out, or usually the guy you bet. There, there is not a race where Joey Logano is not front and center. You're right. He's so polarizing. Yeah, hey, it's, it's been good, it, I, honestly. And I got to say, the, the, the races have been great. Uh, they've been exciting. Uh, good for them. And, and they, they've pulled this thing off swimmingly, I think. And it, it lays out hope for... A lot of the stuff to come. But, I, again, I, if you look at this NHL Phase 2 thing, and, you know, I, we doc, we've been talking about this for nine weeks now on our daily hockey show here in Vegas. It's just there's so much. There's so much that's going to go into just get this stuff going. And I, I think, you know, Memorial Day weekend, we're seeing it, you know, a lot of states are holding firm some some places are getting a spike well they're getting a spike it's obvious more people have gone out there, there's just so many unknowns and if uh, they say here's the thing with all of this crap but one day to the next it changes masks are good masks are bad oh it's on surfaces oh it's not on surfaces it's airborne oh no you got to be six feet oh six feet's not close enough. that this stuff has changed Every day to the point where they're still learning. You know, I'm hoping the one thing they said, oh, yeah, the, the virus won't survive in heat. Well, let me tell you something, bud. It's going to be 100 degrees here today. It's going to be 108 and 109 uh, with excessive heat warnings. So hopefully the coronavirus is toast on a stick in Las Vegas because we're doing our part uh, to do our own little sample size here that heat kills a virus. So let's keep our fingers crossed. But I don't like their chances because they haven't gotten one damn thing right through this whole thing. 
Oh, we finally got up to 85 here, so at least I got to uh, I got to feel the sunshine and feel a little bit of warmth over the weekend, and it'll probably be pretty warm in Bristol coming up here on Sunday, May 31st, 3.30 start time for this one. So we've seen you know several night races, three of the four races here, including Wednesday night, will have been night races or evening races. Now we should get one in the heat of the day coming up here on Sunday, but now we're not going to have the back-to-backs at the same track. We're going to try to bounce around a little bit now. But what about Bristol real quickly, since we won't talk again. Uh, it's what, a one-mile track for the Food City 500 there. Obviously a, a very loud place, a difficult ticket to get in you know a regular year for NASCAR. But any thoughts on, on Bristol before we move on to talk about something different? Well, Kyle Busch will be a very short price, and he's, he's owned Bristol. Uh, I, I would, right out of the gate, uh, two guys that looked very long and hard at her. You know, Kyle Busch is a no-brainer. Uh, his dominance continues on the Xfinity thing. And Denny Hamlin, uh, pretty solid there. Those would be the two starters. Uh, and if memory serves, unfortunately the price won't be good. I think Elliott ran, actually ran pretty good there last year too. Um, but you know, the, the short track and crazy things happen at Bristol. You know, you could take a... I love I love the restrictor plate races. I love the Talladegas, uh, the Talladega races because you get the big accident, and, and that's where you can swing for it with a big price. Like going for a guy like Eric Jones this week, it, it's almost like taking a big lighter to your money normally. But these aren't normal times. But in the restrictor plate races, you know you need someone that just has a decent car. Uh, a guy like Kurt Busch always comes to mind in restrictor plate racing. He's great on restarts. And he, he just he knows what he's doing, and if he can hang around, he knows how to push and be there. And, and there's a knack to doing that. You can you can get those big prices in the restrictor plate races. Bristol's kind of that track because you know one spin, uh, you know, you lose two laps on Bristol because it's so short. You know, one mistake is it, you're you're not going down a lap; you're going down two laps, and you're almost toast immediately. So one mistake eliminates a good guy. You're absolutely right. Half-mile track. My apologies for that. Point five three three miles to be exact. Kyle Busch has won eight times at Bristol. So as you said, he'll wind up being a short price here. Uh, his brother, Kurt, was actually second to him last oh, year. Oh, there you go. Uh, in well, that, that Food City 500. And he, doesn't he do – I mean, I don't, he, he might have pulled this stunt off a couple of times. But he wins – like on the weekend, he wins the truck race, the Xfinity race, and the NASCAR race. I mean, I think he's he's done that a couple of times, like he swept the whole weekend every race, and then, and that's another thing on on Kyle Busch is, I mean, I wanted to, you know, I wanted his head on a plate when he took Elliott out, but you got to give this guy full marks that he is just out there, he loves to race, but I think that's a big part of why he's so successful, is that he's in those other races, and before they ever get to the Cup race. He's learned a lot by competing in those previous races, and I think he deserves full marks for that. I mean, he's a polarizing guy. Uh, but boy, he, he loves to race, and, and he's out there doing it. And I, and I don't think he's just doing it. He loves to win. But I think in large part, too, that, re- that reflects itself into he learned a lot heading into the cup race. Yeah, absolutely. Two top ten finishes last year at Bristol for Chase Elliott, who, by the way, actually had the most points in the night race with 46. He finished sixth. But he was up there uh, second in stage one, sixth in stage two. So a guy that probably will run at the front of the pack. So Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, probably your two short prices coming up here uh, hey, on hey, Sunday at Bristol. Listen to us going nuts on NASCAR. You know, I'm like, we, you know, we 
you know, do this whole thing on the NFL on a weekly basis when we get to football. Say we're going bananas here on that. <laughs> but other one other guy who actually he's just he's just got horrific luck, but who's driving really well, uh, and he's and he's just he's great to root for is Jeff Burton. And it has been, uh, he, he, or, uh, oh, I'm losing my mind. Is that right? Burton? I don't know. Who it's, uh, that's who I'm thinking of, right? No, no, Boyer. Boyer. Jeff Burton. Clint what Boyer. Clint Boyer. That's, that's what, Clint Boyer has been driving really. When did I get Jeff Burton? My God. No, Clint Boyer's been driving really, really good. And he's got a good car. So yeah. I, I, Boy, Boyer's, Boyer's a, another uh, sneaky price you could play because he, he's, he's been contending. He just seems to have something bad happen to him in these races. Yeah, he led the most laps and won the first two stages in the second race at Darlington. So maybe getting back to, you know, a little bit of a smaller track at Bristol, maybe that helps him. Maybe something down the line like a Marlington something, or Martinsville, excuse me, something like that. Maybe that makes some sense for him. So he'll be a guy that we can keep an eye on here as we move forward a little bit. Let's go ahead and talk about this NHL thing because this is a big story out there. Looks like they're putting together a 24-team conference-based essentially playoff where the top four seeds would play each other for like a round robin type format to set the seeding and the other teams would wind up playing in a play-in round which I believe you said is a best of five here so not set in stone but Jeff Sherman over at the Superbook in Las Vegas put up odds on what would be some of these matchups you'd have like Columbus and Toronto Montreal and Pittsburgh the Rangers and the Hurricanes, Panthers and Islanders, Jets, Flames, Blackhawks, Oilers, Coyotes, Predators, Wild, and Canucks. Again, not set in stone, but this doesn't seem like a bad idea. No, this is what they've talked about, and I, I think they got it right. I'm a frustrated Sabres fan. Uh, five weeks ago, it was going to be the top six in each division, but they got it right. The Sabres had no business being in, so they took the Rangers and threw them across into the Atlantic Hub. And I think that was a much fairer deal. The other thing that, one of the reasons this dragged out so long was they wanted to do the draft earlier, kind of to get it out of the way, thinking they were going to get some big spike on TV like the NFL draft did. But honestly, after you get by the top five guys, like, you know, is anybody doing a cartwheel? Oh, yeah, boy, the Hurricanes got that forward from Minsk. You know, I mean, are are people getting all excited about that? But the big thing was, that the lottery, they were going to go back to the old formula where teams could only jump three spots and the Red Wings would have been guaranteed one or two. And that was patently unfair. Uh, so, like, the Sabres are sitting, I think, in the seventh spot, and they're sitting there go, wait a minute, so we don't have a chance. We're out. We can't play, but we can't go up and have a chance to you know, get in the top three or even the first overall. So that was unfair. So now they're looking at this thing again. And honestly, uh, you know, some team gets in the playoffs here and goes on a heater and makes it to the Stanley Cup final and, and loses, but they're still going to be in the lottery and <laughs> can get a great player. You know, that's a bizarre deal, too. So the draft actually played into this. But in terms of the format, I think it's it's more than fair. We've always talked about teams having a problem coming off a bye, facing teams that have played. So the top four teams are going to get a bye. They're going to play a round-robin tournament. I don't think this is etched in stone, but from an intensity standpoint, you bet it, it, it throws the whole thing throws the regular season out. But from an intensity standpoint, and I don't think it changes much 
in terms of the seeding, honestly, because it's neutral site. It's not about home ice. But those teams will at least get games uh, under their belt before the teams that are actually playing intense series to try to advance. And I would still say uh, that the teams coming out of the intense series uh, still has a slight edge, in my estimation, uh, coming into that next round. So I think several of the top four quality, you know, the top four in each conference, a couple of those teams are getting bumped, if not maybe half of them, because I do think it's going to be an edge for teams coming out of the best of five. Well, and something that I think is interesting, uh, Greg Wyshynski tweeted about this. He's the NHL guy over at ESPN. He mentioned that, you know, the NHLPA has has agreed to this format in principle, but they're talking about maybe the option to reseed teams based on, you know, what happened there. Because, again, I mean, all these teams are going to be kind of on equal footing, shaking off the rust. You may get an 11 over 6. You may get a 10 over 7, something like that. You know, do you want to incentivize the higher seeds but at the same time, if the top four teams are playing for seeding, like you said, it throws the regular season out. So do you want to incentivize things for those teams that do well in this random round-robin format You know, versus what happened over the regular season? All kinds of stuff like that. We still don't know exactly where these games are going to be played. So that's still something that's got to come to fruition here. But at least we can start handicapping some of these potential matchups and you know, once we get a lot more clarity, Brian and I will do that here on the shows. But, hey man, we're, we're really – we have the door open here for a lot of weird things because some of these teams that wind up getting seated in a certain spot, like take Columbus, for example, they were ravaged by injuries during the regular season. Now they've got guys back. What if Colorado winds up being, you know, the four seed after the round robin thing? Well, they were destroyed by injuries during the regular season too. So there are some teams that could be way underseeded, way overseeded, you know, based on their current roster construction. It's going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun. I, I just hope that, you know, it, it goes off with as few hitches as possible. Well, it's fun to at least consider it, and, and you want to see how this is all going to play out. And again, the, the incentivizing, I don't I don't know what the incentive is, honestly. Again, it's, it's neutral ice with no fans, you know. So it's not like, oh, my God, we're going to have home ice advantage or uh, things of that nature. I, it's like, and, and the other thing is when they get back, literally, you're going to watch this. I'm telling you, the eyeball test is never going to be more important than this because it's like anything. It's like, uh, I don't know, Baylor is unbeaten uh, on the fast track to play in the national championship game. Oh, they suffer a loss in week nine. Okay, they're they're still you know, one of the top teams in the country, and they're gonna they're gonna play in the Fiesta Bowl, and then they lose again another one, and now they're playing in the Independence Bowl, and they don't want to be there, and you can see it, and there are gonna be teams you're just gonna see it that, that this is this is goofball stuff, this is quirky, you're, it's gonna happen, and you're gonna see some teams that are disinterested. Uh, the one thing I'd say uh, these first round matchups are two I really like. One is Columbus. I think they got healthy. Uh, going against the Leafs, I, I think Columbus has a gritty nature. I think Tortorella will have them fired up. You know, Toronto's a real skill set kind of team. But I think at the plus price, I, I would definitely look at Columbus. And the other one, I, I and again, you know, not throwing darts to a degree, but of the of the first-round matchup, really like Winnipeg over the Flames a lot. That would be that would be my best one there. I think Hellebuck's having a great season. And... Uh, the Jets' defense has been sketchy. I thought Maurice did a really good job with him. But the Jets have firepower up front, 
and I think the better goalie really like the Jets over the Flames. Well, that's the thing, you know, I mean, once we know exactly what's happening here, what some of these, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the 5, 12, 6, 11, 8, 9, 7, 10 type thing, that's probably pretty set in stone at this point in time for that play-in round. So at least we can start looking at some of those things. But, you know, you start talking about the Oilers. And, you know, I saw the Oilers out in Vegas. I know you and I were kind of texting back and forth a little bit. That's a real skill-based team. You know, what happens with this long layoff, without the opportunity to play together, gel, all that kind of thing? You know, does that really make it an uphill climb for a team like Arizona going up against a national team that's kind of been set in its structure for a long period of time. You know, it's almost like, not not even just matchup dependent, but almost stylistically, you know, some teams are just going to be in better shape than other. I mean, the Islanders just play a muck it up, real slow, neutral zone trap defensive kind of game. Does that benefit them in a format like this where teams are already going to be a little bit inconsistent, not as much chemistry, not as much up and down the ice type thing? Maybe that's something that you want to consider a little bit. I hope. I mean, that was. I have a future on the Islanders, and it's funny. I made. I made that play, and about a week after I made the play on them, they just went into free fall. Uh, the, so the break actually came at a good time for them in a series with a coach like Trotz and that frustrating style. Uh, I think uh, Carolina's another team. I think is sneaky. And you talk about bad beats. Not a bad beat, but. That, that's not a refund. I'm you know, I'm stuck with that Islanders ticket. The one that kills me is I had Terrell Hatton at 150 to one to win the Masters. Bet him last fall. He comes back with a runner-up finish and a win, and now he's down to like 60 to one to win the Masters. And I had him at 150 to one, and they closed that market. That was a refund, and I got now I got to come back and bet Hatton at 60 to one instead of on Hatton at 150 to one. There's all kinds of things that. Uh, that's Terrell Hatton because I'll just tell you just because I know I'll have something to whine about if he wins the Masters well and speaking of altered calendars here we've talked about that quite a bit with horse racing and of course we talked about the Belmont last week and how it's moved uh to June 20th here we didn't have the exact date until we were basically right off the air uh wound up seeing that it was going to be June 20th but you know the Matt Wynn stakes was at Churchill over the weekend that's a grade three race that wound up being for Kentucky Derby uh, points, and that was won by Maxfield, who won the Breeders' Futurity, then wound up being out of action for a long period of time. He winds up winning that. I know you were talking about a big turf race at Santa Anita over the weekend. You know, some of these races that they're not throwaways by any means, but they were part of the spring meet. They were after the Triple Crown races, stuff like that. All of a sudden, now those are going to have much stronger fields as trainers point their horses towards these big events. Uh, Bob Baffert sending both Nadal and Charlatan to the Belmont Stakes here on June 20th. I thought that was kind of interesting, not keeping one for the Santa Anita Derby. A lot of moving parts in horse racing and a lot more tracks continuing to open up too. No, there's no doubt about it. In fact, a great race over the weekend, uh, that Shoemaker Mile. And uh, Raging Bull won the race. It was a, And it's funny. I actually had this horse, and Chad Brown had a couple of horses in the race, and it, he it was it, it never fails. It was the longer priced of the Chad Browns, not by much. Uh, they hammered this horse by, uh, without parole, and I was just looking at the racing form, going, "This horse, uh, just a stick out." And the funny thing is, without parole, kind of had more wins and a better resume, but he'd been in trouble the last couple of races. But it, it was just, it's one of those. 
kind of handicapping lessons that I think maybe you learn over the course of a lot of years. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at this horse, Raging Bull. He'd finished third in like his last three races. And the last time you saw the horse was in the Woodbine Mile. But the horses he was losing to, the one name's escaping me, uh, is Street something. He he kept running into this horse, and then the other horse that showed up in two of those races was Brick and Mortar, and Brick and Mortar won the uh, Breeders' Cup turf or the Breeders' Cup mile. And and like now he's running against these horses, and really the horse he had to beat was his was his stable mate. But it's like on paper it looked like oh yeah he doesn't win he doesn't win he just finishes third. No, he ran winning races in those three races, but faced two of the very best turf horses on the planet. And then they come and let this horse go off three to one in this race, and he swooped them like they were standing still. So it was fun to do that, watch it, and, and say, "Okay, you know these these lessons and these things we apply still work." Yeah, for sure. And you know, um, it's again one of those things where we're, we're going to have so much action now with you know some of those prep races getting moved to the summer. You've got obviously, as I talked about already, the Belmont coming up here in less than a month, and you're going to have a lot of opportunities on undercards too, because again, you mentioned this on last week's show, and and this will be how we finish up today. You've talked about how, you know, you watch a race or you kind of look back at the forum and you start putting together your virtual list, your virtual stable of horses that you want to come back and back. And you had some history with that horse there in the shoemaker mile. And you you kind of had an idea that it was going to be there. You were just hoping that it would get you there. And you know, again, we're going to have a lot of those opportunities here over the summer. So for people looking for things to bet while we wait for this new NHL playoff format, uh, Charles Barkley says the NBA is coming back. Major League Baseball's got a very, very big week here because they're going to want to try to start spring training in early June. We're not yet at the point where we've got a lot of those really popular betting markets, but we still have opportunities with things like NASCAR and horse racing if you're able to watch, follow along, and kind of file away some of those mental notes. One thing is, even in this downtime, when when you can spend a day, say, I'm not watching it, I'm not betting on it, or, or whatever. You don't have money in your account, uh, places aren't open, and you're sitting there, I can't, you know what? If you just say, okay, wait a minute, no form, no nothing. You can watch horse race without having money on it. And watch it and sit there and go, oh, that horse should have won that race. That horse had a troubled trip. Or that horse blew the brake and then came roaring up. And, oh, if that horse goes from six furlongs to a mile and a sixteenth next time out. He's, you literally would have a pen and a blank piece of paper. Even if you're not betting on it, can help make you money. Adam, I mean, watch the races. Write the horse's name down. You go, he should have. Next time, I want to bet that horse. Next time out, it's like Eric Jones in the car race. I don't know if Eric Jones wins the car race, but I'm betting Eric Jones because of what I saw. And in the horse races, you take the time, write five, six, seven horses down, put them in a virtual stable, and you get an email alert the next time the horse is going to run. Even though you're not betting the horse today, you can make money tomorrow. Brian Blessing, once again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how can people check out those two programs of yours? All right, bud. They're live noon to 2 Pacific time weekdays, kshp.com. I put the show links on my Twitter, at Brian Blessing, and we'll be rocking and rolling here. The sportsbook directors, the governor of Nevada, is supposed to be talking today. It's like the cat's out of the bag. Uh, it sounds like the casinos and at least the sports books uh, on a you know skeleton 
bases will be opening again here, which is a good sign on June 4th. Uh, so this will be a big week talking to all of our uh, our stable of sportsbook directors and the challenges of getting back up and running in on Vegas Hockey Hotline. A lot to talk about with this Phase 2 thing, and hopefully we're closer to actual games. We have numbers to discuss, and we get great guests from around the hockey world uh, on Vegas Hockey Hotline. Well, as always, make sure you check out those two shows, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com, and follow Brian on Twitter, at Brian Blessing. Brian, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, buddy. If I'm you, I'd go right back to that lake next week. Just make sure the beer's cold. All right. There you go. There's Brian Blessing once again, sportsbookradio.com, kshp.com, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Coming up on Thursday, another edition of the Better's Box, our KBO betting podcast, so keep an ear out for that. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Thursday.